Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast on the Youth Critic Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast. I am your host, Kel Smith. Joining me this week is uh, David Weiser from Film Assessment. Hi, everybody. It's good to be back. It's been, a, a, I don't know, like two weeks or something. Yeah, we've, we recorded our last episode on the actual night of New Year's Eve, I think. And uh, so, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a couple weeks. Um, but yeah, uh, David, how have you been? Good. Um, I had a almost. I was scared I got COVID last week, and then it came back negative, and it turned out it was just a cold or something. Uh, so that gave me a lot of opportunity. That gave me an opportunity to watch quite a bit that I missed out on last year. So I've almost caught up with 2021. There's a few movies I just won't be able to get to, either for the sake of time, or I just won't get to them because they're not really available near me. Like, but uh, we'll. I'll be ready for a best of 2021 relatively soon. Absolutely. So uh, for the next couple of weeks, David and I, we will be catching up on uh, best of 2021. Um, so yes, that means we probably will not have a chance to review movies like the 355, um, Scream, or um, oh, I guess that's it for January because everybody left. <laughs> um, so I get so we will hold off on you know I don't think we will get to those movies if we do we'll do kind of a special episode either very we'll, we'll do something in February for them if we get to it but for now for the next two to three episodes we are going to be focusing on you know catching up on 2021 movies and also our best of 2021 so this is part one of our catch-up and uh, David, what were the four movies? What are the four movies we are going to talk about today? Power of the Dog or The Power of the Dog. I don't know, one of those. Um, Red Rocket. Um, what's the third one? Uh, uh, it is uh, Coda. Coda, and then there's another one. Oh, Tragedy of Macbeth. Yes. Yes, uh, we so yeah, and so we are technically talking about a new release because the tragedy of Macbeth, even though it technically opened um, in theaters on Christmas or limited release, uh, it is it debuted on Apple Plus uh, uh, last weekend, uh, and we're gonna have some thoughts about it. But first, um, we're gonna talk about the Golden Globe uh, winner of twenty twenty two for best drama. The power of the dog. <laughs> it's just a man. Only another man. And starting with you, David, what did you think of um, the power of the dog? I actually really liked it. I went into it not 
knowing how I was going to feel about it because just like, I don't know, it seemed like it's almost a Western, like, I don't even know if I would even call it like a neo-Western, but it's like kind of a Western, but it didn't, uh, like just based on what I saw, I, di I didn't go into it knowing very much about it at all, but it just didn't really grab my interest. So that's why I kind of sat on watching it for like, I don't know, like a month or two before I finally got to it. But I ended up really loving it. Um, I thought it was so much, there was a lot of gorgeous cinematography of like the landscape and just nature shots, like a lot of um, golden hour stuff and really beautiful mountain landscapes. Um, Benedict, the, the cast is great. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kristen Dunst, uh, Cody Smith-McPhee, I think I yes, got that right? Yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> and they were all great, uh, that core ensemble. Um, it really gave, it reminded me of uh, There Will Be Blood in a lot of ways, in terms of, um, I guess, tone and subject matter to a degree. I mean, that's about oil and this is like cattle ranching. ranching. Yeah. So that's that's obviously different, but it kind of sort of Westerns um, and set around the similar time period. Um, mm. Yeah, I really liked it a lot more than I was expecting to. And I thought, I especially liked the um, kind of, the kind of twisted ending at the end, um, like kind of that dark kind of scheming. We'll get to that, I guess, if we just go full spoilers in a second, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say this. Uh, we are, um, this is the one movie I think that is going to be the most spoiled, or the one you don't want the movie spoiled because Red Rocket is kind of like, I mean, we're just going to talk about it. And then, you know, Coda had, and then Coda is pretty much a nice movie. And then Tragedy of Macbeth, I mean, it's Macbeth. If you're spoiled, if you feel spoiled by something that was written um, hundreds years of years ago, then I'm sorry for you. You're you're a little late to the game. I mean, but. I'm sorry you you skipped out on uh, the day you read Macbeth in high school. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, so I so yeah, for the power of the dog, I would consider. I don't know if I would consider it neo western. I thought that I thought neo western kind of meant more modern, but oh, okay, so western, I guess. Yeah um but no, no no but yeah it's a western it's you know got a frontier vibe um it is a slow build uh it's not as long as there will be blood it's only still only two hours long um but it's a very much a a slow you know rising tension between you know all four of the characters mm -hmm. um you know and what i loved about this movie so much was because I went in cold. I didn't see a trailer, nothing. I just went cold. I didn't even know who Jane, I, or I didn't know who Jane Campion was as a filmmaker. So I didn't really know what to expect from her movies. Uh, so I just knew that Benedict Cumberbatch was in it. And apparently someone tweeted out that Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, laid dong um, in the movie. Um, yes, I and no, that was from, and no, that's not from just some, you know, horny person. It's just from an actual film critic that was just like, man, everyone's just like, 
Jane Campion just really late, you know, likes her men laying dong. So, and they're so apparently that's a thing. Anyway, um, but no, I really love this movie because it really starts out as like a testament of like what, uh, you know, toxic masculinity breeds, especially ones that are not of educated value or not of education or not of class. And that's how the like, movie kind of starts. But then you kind of learn about uh, Phil, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch character. Like he went to, I think they said he went to like Harvard or something. Yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting to have a character uh, like in this profession of cattle ranching who went to, who attended Harvard, which is like one of the most prestigious schools in the United States, really, if you think about it. Um, ever, yeah. So like, yeah, so it's like, that's pretty that's an interesting choice and like just to see and it's kind of interesting that like I, I I thought it was really interesting how Jesse Plemons seemed to be the guy that even though Benedict Cumberbatch kind of had the camaraderie of the men that were with the cattle ranchers and all that like he had he like was their de facto leader so to speak Jesse Plemons seemed like he was more the business guy that like he's the book made yeah, he's the bookkeeper. He makes the he he makes a lot of the business decisions and stuff like that. And I thought it was interesting, like contrasting them. How Jesse Plemons was the one that dropped out of school, and Benedict Cumberbatch will Benedict Phil like teases him for that uh, multiple times, and like he kind of bullies him, even though and it's weird because if you look at it in in a from like a class perspective, it would seem as though. Benedict Cumberbatch were lower class and Jesse Plemons were higher class and he's like like it, it seems like the situations of who's bullying who should like you would think you would expect it to be the opposite way mm -hmm. but then it's actually this way and I, I thought that was just really intriguing dynamic and like how he he just kind of like I, was he his older brother or younger brother I, I don't remember that but he kept calling him fat and stuff and like fatso. he just bullied yeah he called him fatso and mm -hmm. He, he was just, he was just a total jerk. Yeah, no, I mean, Phil kind of represents that, you know, toxic masculinity that uh, the Phantom Thread, not to keep going back to Paul Thomas Anderson, but like Phantom Thread was kind of talking about, like of the classy, like, you know, I'm the, you know, prestige boy, if you will, but but he, but I mean, Phil's idea of a prestige boy is like, I want to be, you know, not part of society. I want to be an outcast. I want to, you know, I want to not be a part of, you know, like when his family gets together, they bring the governor, whoever the hell, or whoever. Um, and, you know, like he's very much like, I don't want to clean up. I, I'm, I'm a working man. Like he pry, like this, whoever this like Bronco Bill or Bronco character, you know, did to him whatever he instilled in, he instilled, you know, this education that, you know, being a cattle rancher, being out in the woods, being not like, you know, taking warm baths, you know, no, actually cleaning yourself in a river, you know, out in the nature. That's what being a real man is. Mm -hmm. And those are in and Phil to an extent had figured out or come to that conclusion um because also it's very much hinted that Phil's character has like a has a gay side to him yeah yeah I thought it was strongly hinted that he was homosexual 
Yeah. So, of course, like he finds more safe. So he finds safety in another person who also has, you know, who also is a you know, gay man, but you know, masquerading in this masculine, you know, form. So, like it. So that was the that was the other interesting part was how much this movie classifies masculinity and classifies what's toxic and what's not mm-hmm. well and then you bring in Cody Smith McPhee's character who is also like it's never again none of this is ever impl- explicitly said it's just you are told through the visual language that Cody Smith McPhee's character is also maybe gay as well um so like, you know, so you also have that going on when he discovers um, Bronco, like Bronco, you know, you know, stash, like, you know, stash of nude, you know, photos. So you have that in there. And then Phil discuss, and then Phil discovers, you know, that, you know, Peter, I guess, I think that's the character's name. Couldn't even spit McPhee's character's name. That Peter, you know, found the stash and whatever and it's now there's that attraction that you know also like worries Kristen that's also Kristen Dunst like goes through a lot her character goes through a lot in this movie like she's tormented Mm -hmm. a lot by the men in her life because uh her brother because her husband her new husband George uh doesn't really you know see that she's just an alcoholic and can't stand Phil. Uh, and then she worries about Peter even more when Phil takes a liking to Peter. So, I mean, her, al- so yeah, I mean, her alcoholism just reaches a fever. She basically, you know, her... Not to mention her yeah. ex-husband committed suicide, you know, if there's anything oh, yeah. else you want to add on to that. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. she's been through some stuff. Yeah, she's, and, you know, and, like, her husband wants her to, like, play, keep playing that effing piano, mm-hmm. even though she's just, like, look, I just, like, I'm just, like, I'm just, like, a doodle, like, I just kind of just, like, play music. I did really like how, like, there was kind of, she and Phil butted heads, and she would kind of, like, find ways to kind of like pull the rug up from out from under him, even though as a woman, she kind of has lesser power in this situation in that dynamic. Like mm-hmm. when she gives away the cowhide, um, for this is an example of something she does that to kind of purposely spite him. And then she's rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. She's rewarded for it through the gloves. And I don't know, like that was such a love, like a break of the tension. Like really, that's when the tension really breaks. I feel like of this because this whole movie it's just been building this tension, and you know, and honestly, like, I mean, there's some debate you can say that the, the tension actually breaks, you know, at the end when Phil gets infected with you know whatever disease was on the hide that Peter had found, um, but. The tension really just breaks when, you know, she trades the cowhide for the gloves. Like, that for me, like, is what kind of 
is like you know it it's the i don't i don't remember what this is in the plot diagram but it's that's where the action kind of decreases emotionally the falling action the falling action so but i like it's a it's an emotional falling action even though kristen does also like collapses from the alcoholism mm -hmm. after that so yeah it's um it's something else and then and then it was interesting to me how phil and pete's dynamic changed so drastically over the course of the movie how like he kind of went from bullying him as well to like finally like taking a like to liking to him but then like while underneath all of that pete is still like kind of like harboring this like resent resentment towards him for what he did earlier in the movie and how he treats his mother and uh how and also, that yeah. kind of meant how that manifests in the end mm -hmm. and he's also was, oh, go ahead was just like it's just like this great ending like this way to kind of like i don't know i like when characters kind of like scheme and like outsmart one another like you know how what how he what he does to phil oh you may you mentioned he died already right yeah yeah well okay yeah when sure. he when he gives him the infected hive that gets in his cut that phil was too manly to dress with uh with uh with any proper bandages or anything and then when that wound gets infected and you know he he then he dies and like the fact that like he kind of like saw his opportunity and he went for it but like he did it so subtly and this and then like to add insult to injury like the fact that like phil was making him a rope like he's like i'm doing this for you and like through that he used that as a means to kill him basically assassinate him indirectly and it leaves you as an audience member feeling conflicted because you finally see the humanity in phil and the humanity that he's longing for because now he's really i don't know if he's looking for anything else uh, in peter other than just to make a rope, other than just to be friends and make a rope. Yeah, I kind of saw this companionship, even though they're both kind of like subtly implied to be gay. I, I didn't really interpret the really because like that's technically his nephew, so that'd be really weird. <laughs> well, here's the thing, you know, I don't know if you noticed this, but the editing of like what the sequence of shots that go that comes after you know, when Peter gives Phil the high to work on and he works on it, it's the sequence of shots like of, in how like Jane Campion films the horses, it almost it, it's almost shot like an intimate love scene. Mm -hmm. Like it like like it, like it feels like, you know, Jane Campion is kind of using this like montage of shots with the horses and how the horses are filmed like it feels like you know it feels like you know this is an implied like love scene that we just left with phil and peter and then that love scene ends with phil being infected <laughs> with the with disease so um I, like yeah this movie is weird it's odd i shouldn't say weird it's just odd you know because it's like it's very much like Jane Campion very much knew what she was doing mm -hmm. with this movie. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, there is that underlying tragedy because you finally have humanity in Phil. And I think that's the brilliance of Benedict Cumberbatch's performance is to have this character be so despised. Obtuse, and, yeah. <laughs> obtuse and despised. And then by the end of it, you're like, wow, there's a history with this character that, mm. you know, warrant that only we, the audience, we can unpack like what that means. So, and where that humanity comes from and where that broken humanity comes from. But we, but we don't just see it in the film because five minutes later he's dead. Mm-hmm. And so, but now you feel conflicted, like is, did Peter really understand what he was doing or and how much of that is very sinister? Yeah. Because we see him, he has no problem like killing animals and dissecting them. He does for science, but still like this, it's still presented as like this creepy, like out of touch thing, like out of like sociopathic kind of way. Like in how he like, you know, got this animal, made it feel very cute, very loving, then opened it up an hour later. <laughs> Speaking yes. of which, yeah. I had no idea Thomas and McKenzie was going to be in this. So I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, what is Thomas and McKenzie doing in this movie? Like, she is, like, like what is she doing? She, um, like, I love it. I mean, I love her in it. It's just like, this role is way too small for Thomas and McKenzie. <laughs> um, but no, I really, no. So it opens up that can of worms for us, the viewer, to discuss with each other, you know, does, is Peter okay in the mind? Like, is, like, did he do this for the best of intentions? And you kind of are like, it doesn't really matter because uh, George and his mother are, are very happy together. Like, it seems like things are warming up in the house. Yeah. Yeah, I. It, this movie is like very complex, layered, and like uh, more in terms of morality, like it's like very messy. But like I, that's kind of what I love about it. <laughs> I know, like the more I talk about it, I'm like, oh, this might actually end up on my best list. Because, um, but also, but yeah, I enjoyed it so much. Um, was there any? I, was there anything you wanted else to talk about for the movie? Um, I don't know. I just love uh, I love Jesse Plemons, and I, I feel like he hasn't gotten a lot of spotlight in, for this role in terms of like discussion. And I, I think he does a lot of great work here. I, I think one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he takes Kirsten Dunst uh, to this quiet, like idyllic, like scene, and they just have a dance together. Uh, and it, like it's just such a beautiful moment and Jesse Plemons like really kind of you see how much goodness there is in him and how much good intent but like kind of that goodness kind of blinds him to Kirsten Dunst's um, alcoholism and like other faults but like it, it's just so I don't know he's kind of like the Ted Lasso of this of this story <laughs> yes 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 I agree I think 
uh, I love that scene so much because, you know, he sees so much good in her, you know, and to be fair, I mean, she's got it together at this little restaurant that her and her son own. So yeah, at this point in the movie, she's sound. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and really at the end of the movie, I mean, she's still fine. Like, she's much better without Phil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she has her breaking point, too, with the gloves. Like, she really, for the first time, feels love because George has been gone a lot through the sequences events of this movie. And, yeah, I, I, I really loved it. And I love that scene in particular because it's the first time you get the sense that this character actually has had, like, real, genuine like feminine love in a way like you feel like this entire like you kind of get the vibe during that dinner scene you know that that whole family is kind of just playing a part um because of what we have seen before and how phil reacts how you know you know george also is like putting on a show and then you know and then you know kirsten dunce can't like perform the show Mm-hmm. so you feel like it's all for show and of course the, the parents uh george and phil's parents they just leave you know when, as soon as the show is over so you don't so going back to that scene on that like mountain cliff where they have the dance and george like has a teary-eyed moment it's beautiful and also super tragic because this guy just never has felt love that way before Oh, this is such a good movie. I was, mm-hmm. oh, I'm so glad I went in this cold, even though, yeah. And then the music also, I should say, Johnny Greenwood's score. Also, Johnny Greenwood's just killing it this year. Johnny Greenwood and Hans Zimmer both put out like two bangers, <laughs> banger scores in a, in a year. I mean, we had No Time to Die, Dune, and we had Spencer and The Power of the Dog. And uh, uh, Liquor sh- Pizza. Oh my gosh, yes, and licorice pizza. Golly, like Johnny Greenwood, Johnny Greenwood should at least get nominated for at least one or two of these. Um, I, I think he will, at least one, at the very yeah. least one, possibly yeah. two. I mean, I'm sure Hans Zimmer, I mean, if Hans Zimmer got nominated for score for Dune, I think he's a safe lock-in. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, definitely, I mean... But then again, I'm hearing lots of good, like the Academy really likes No Time to Die. So we'll see. Good. Yeah. <laughs> As they should. <laughs> the Academy is really happy with the No Time to Die. <laughs> um, but yeah. Okay. So is there anything else to talk about Power of the Dog? Good movie. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. You don't have any excuses. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it looks fantastic on 4K if you have it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I really wish I had seen this in a theater too because it looks so stunning. I know, man. Ah, uh. uh, dang it. Anyway, uh, so next movie, uh, we have oh, Red Rocket. You said you're never gonna step a foot in Texas again. I know this is unexpected. Oh, nothing with you is unexpected. Your last job is over 17 years ago. That's quite a gap. 
Well, you know, I've worked almost every day for the last 17 years. I moved back in with my wife last week. No, I'm calling the cops. Fuck. Really? Eight. We decided to make a run of it. I just need a place to crash for a couple of days. What's the big deal? Nike, go fuck yourself. All right, look, I'm going to be straight with you. I'm an adult film actor. Excuse me? Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> bye, bye. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, David, what'd you think of Red Rocket? I went into this very cold and mm-hmm. I thought it was hilarious and like hilariously fucked up. Like I would I would guess it's the like the right way. Like it's so like batshit insane. Just the premise of this movie alone. I mean, there's been so many jokes about how lucky Sean Baker was that PTA released his movie and took the brunt of the controversy uh, in terms of discourse, in terms of age gap relationships, because that is nothing compared to what goes on in this movie. And this movie is just so insane. I don't even know where to begin with it, just because there's, it's, there's so much to talk about. And even the funniest thing is like, I actually recognized a few filming locations because it was shot in Texas City, which, so I live around the Houston area and you have to kind of drive through Texas City in order to go to Galveston. And so there's one particular strip club that they go to that is on that route that you have to pass by. And I I recognize that location and maybe one or two others. Uh, I can't recall the others, like what it distinctly was, but like, I just remember like, oh, okay. Like I actually could probably take a day trip and just like go visit all the filming locations if I wanted to. (laughs) I don't know. Some of the filming locations, I would be like, oh God, this is where this scene happened. I don't know that I actually would want to do that, but it's something (laughs) I could do if I wanted to. (laughs) Okay. Well, so going back to the age gap of it all, um, this is piggyback from that i think paul thomas anderson deserves an apology <laughs> yeah like, i mean what sean baker had did in this movie not to say that sean baker um is in the wrong because i think he does enough of the groundwork uh to i think sean i think they both kind of portray the relationships as toxic like we talked about in our like rich pizza review and then this one like everything that the central character does uh i think his name is mike yeah uh, everything that everything that he everything the protagonist does like is definitely viewed as negative and toxic and like this man is like a despicable human being <laughs> in every way imaginable and i i think sean baker is well aware of that and he gets his comeuppance towards the end yeah absolutely yeah I mean, I, and, and look, I, and look, I think, you know, I mean, I think the reason why Paul Thomas Anderson gets the brunt of that controversy is because Licorice Pizza was so, like, like, it was so, like, beloved, like, when the first, as soon as the first trailer, it was, like, hotly anticipated, whereas, I mean, whereas Sean, the Red Rocket, it kind of just came and went. It went very under the radar, whereas uh, Licorice Pizza, even though it probably didn't make like a lot of money at the box office or anything, 
it was definitely the more high profile release because of PTA's like name alone. Even though Sean Baker is definitely someone that's beloved by cinephiles for like the Florida Project and Tangerine, mm -hmm. um, like I don't, he's he doesn't have the same. I don't know how to, I don't want to, he, he, he doesn't draw in people like the way that PTA does, if that makes sense, like the same degree, like PTA, I wouldn't even say he's quite Spielberg's level, but he's definitely like closer to that, whereas Sean Baker is more of a, very much an indie director. <laughs> well, PTA is kind of in that league of like Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, like whenever one of those guys has a movie, you know, uh, when one of those like 90s directors, like 90 indie directors break out, when one of those guys has a hit move, a movie on the horizon, like it, it immediately, no matter, you know, the age of the cinephile, I mean, even like, you know, uh, Gen Z's, people that are younger than us, you know, they, they're all, you know, everyone knows who Paul Thomas Anderson is. Like, Paul Thomas Anderson, even though his movies are not, like, superhero, they're mostly about relationships. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's been just one of those directors that has, like, found a way to hit every kind of cinephile out there. Mm -hmm. Sean Baker, um, on the other hand, I mean, he really hit it big with Tangerine. Not in a box office way, but like he kind of splashed on with Tangerine, and uh, and then the Florida Project really kind of you know submitted him because a it got Willem Dafoe um, an Oscar nomination. It really it almost got him the award, you know. So and also the Florida Project was such a huge like deal. It was something you know it came out in the you know this post Trump era or post Trump election. And it was just a huge, like, deal to see, you know. And also, it was, like, the filmmaking style that Sean Baker has, like, I mean, it's just, like, super, I mean, it's just theater setting. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the Willem Dafoe, like, look back through his career, and he talks about, I don't know if you saw that video on Vanity Fair. But, I mean, Willem Dafoe kind of defined Sean Baker's style as, like, he, no matter what, like, he's going to hire people that were you, the actor, you, the big talent, you're going to come in and feel like, oh, this is a real world. This is a real thing. It's that- Definitely. It's I, I got that yeah. sense from both this and the Florida Project. I would not be surprised if for either movie he filmed like, he 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 just got like, kind of like, uh, what was, there's some movie that they just had- regular people oh borat like kind of like borat in the sense of like oh this is a right not not in like we're hiding that this is a movie from you but like in the sense that like oh this is just a regular person we're just going to work them into the story um we're not going to go out like maybe like for the lead roles yeah we'll go out and cast actual actual actors like trained actors but like everyone else we're going to try to find as close to like an authentic person as possible I definitely got that vibe from both this and the Florida Project. Well, I mean, that's what he does. He hires a lot of the locals or he goes around and kind of goes up to people and be like, hey, you have this like great look. You mind auditioning for, you know, my movie? That's how he found uh, the mom in Florida Project. He just, oh, wow. saw, he just saw her at a Walmart and was like, you have this look about you. Do you mind auditioning for my movie? um you know and 
and miraculous? Like she said, yes. Um, and it's one of the most defining performances of that decade. But yeah, I loved, but yeah, for Red Rocket, he does surround himself like with one or two like name actors and then everyone else is kind of a, like a low role. Um, and it's a great style because and it's almost like stunt casting, especially for Simon Rex, who, you know, had a porn career, you know, in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, I did not know that. But uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I don't remember what his uh, porn name is, but yeah, he did. But I mean, yeah, it's just really good casting, like on his, because I mean, and I don't think Simon Rex is like an amazing actor, but uh, he gives a very good performance in this. <laughs> but but yes, I think Sean Baker really knows how to use like these kind of character actors, you know, mm-hmm. in a in a stunt casting, but also like Simon Rex has been a rapper, an actor, comedian. I mean, he's in the scary. I don't know if you remember those scary movies. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's been around. Like, he's not, like, just some, like, other, like, person they just plucked out. Uh, So, but yeah, I mean, it's really good casting and just, you know, and it's a really funny performance, but also, like, a, it kind of gave me vibes of, like, a Martin Scorsese movie from the 70s, like, Taxi Driver. Okay, yeah. Like, despicable character, despicable anti-hero um in deconstructing you know the leading man kind of way you know but yeah um what else do you have to unpack uh let's see what like so like then there's like so much going on like it's amazing because like if you like on paper I guess it's kind of simple but it like feels like he's got like so much he's he's like in such deep shit with everyone like he's got his his uh, well, I would say ex-wife, but they're still, I guess, they're legally married. married. So his his wife and her mother-in-law that he's like kind of crashed their house, kind of forced his way in, basically. And then like he, he's got like so they kind of like drop the gauntlet and say, okay, well, if you're gonna stay here, you need to pay rent. So it's just like, okay, that's very reasonable. I mean, like he basically abandoned you, um, and so to have yeah, a he's gonna, yeah, we <laughs> and so for then he goes out and there's this interesting thing about him like kind of having difficulty finding a job because of his fact he's a porn star which is kind of humorous in the way it's like incorporated in the interviews like and then like the way he's so proud of it like he's like go look me up you know like (laughs) and things like that and then um then for him to turn around from that and kind of re like kind of it's very much like this kind of guy kind of like coming back to his roots and even though he's like kind of just like the roots of who he is and like where he came from and like kind of just been like he goes back to now sell um i guess weed um for this uh drug dealer who he's familiar with and his friend like his her son was in his age group i don't i wouldn't say they were friends but um he goes to like sell weed for her and with that money he's able to pay all of the rent for the mother-in-law and wife so then like it's really interesting because like 
while his, uh, I guess, intent is very malicious, like he does genuinely do some good things for people, even though he like isn't meaning to do it like with uh, like his his kindness is like generosity isn't genuine, but like he does actually do some good things for people. And like, I guess in his life, even though he kind of undercuts it all later on, but like, yeah, it's just a fascinating movie. And then like, there's the age gapness of it all of him kind of falling for this 17 year old donut store cashier, which is like when it, when it kind of like, Nick while I was watching them. Yeah. So I, I had heard there was a, um, age gap in this movie but I didn't look into it any more than that so it was like about that point in the movie I was like so I guess it's the age gap the difference between him and his wife like it doesn't seem like it seems like they're about the same age and then they meet the cashier and I'm like oh okay this is why it's problematic okay okay I understand now um and like just the way he he's very clever in how he manipulates the people around him to either do what he wants or give him what he wants. And like, I thought that was just very fascinating and how he would like, kind of like that. There's the neighbor kid um, who his wife babysat when she was a kid. He like totally what, like everything he does to him is just awful. Like the way he like uses him as transportation, just kind of with it, like just cause like he does he needs to ride places and he doesn't want to take his bike, he just kind of forces this guy more or less. I mean, the guy does it willingly because he kind of idolizes him for all the wrong reasons. Um, yeah. And then like he kind of like psychologically torments this guy, like he kind of bullies him a lot. And then, like, with what end up what ends up happening, like, I don't know if how deep into spoilers we want to go, but oh, like, no, what go in- ahead, go ahead. Okay, well, with like the whole pile up thing, like, and letting him make basically pressuring him to take the fall for that, all on his own, and then him like actually doing that for him, like, was just like horrifying to witness, and it like just makes you feel so uneasy, like you kind of feel what he feels on screen and then there's like this like then like what's brilliant is that sean baker still manages to find comedy in that like when he's celebrating this horrible thing that like so this guy the the guy that lives next door his lawyer comes out and gives a statement that they are actually like like he gives a statement on the thing and he's not mentioned at all and he goes outside and celebrates right in front of the father like yeah that's horrible but it's also kind of hilarious in this dark twisted way and it's amazing that sean baker was able to pull that off (laughs) it is because i mean you it's so amazing because you because it's at this point in the movie where you're just like there is no hope for this person like this person's just a horrible human being he deserves to rot he's the he's the worst aspect of society like what you know everyone deems like or trying to find like in the worst qualities of in a person matt or mikey is just all of that you know in a human form uh you know in just every way possible and what i love about 
that part of him is it, it's also very much implied that he was basically kicked out of LA mm-hmm. or wherever he was like that's the reason like that's the reason why he's like back in this situation with his ex-wife is like wherever whatever happened in LA whatever wherever he got kicked out of I mean he screwed up really badly like he did something you know because like he won't say it because he's trying to be on the good side of these people but yeah he's screwed up really bad in LA uh he screwed his career up somehow um because yeah it yeah but I what I do but yeah and and that's one of the most interesting aspects like this is a character that's so toxic he just gets kicked out of wherever he's gone like he stays there long enough he's just gonna destroy the place uh uh, just like while we're kind of like talking about his toxicity and like how like he does end up getting the just desserts but like it kind of comes slowly but like the first scene where he gets like his ass whooped in the parking lot by the girls uh i guess his girl her her girl's former boyfriend and his parents like i just thought that was so hilarious like the fact that the mom and dad just came and were like we're just gonna jump this guy and then like even like i don't know it's just like amazing how like he takes advantage of people and even through that strawberry um doesn't see the doesn't see the toxicity for what it is like she's just kind of very much like riding the excitement of like oh i'm dating a porn star and all this and very much she's like falling yeah. i guess she's like into older guys and all this you know she's like very much riding the excitement of it all but she's not really thinking critically and like he's just like totally taking advantage of that and it's crazy <laughs> it is i mean it's total insanity and you feel bad for strawberry but also like strawberry is very much either no well i guess unknowingly she doesn't understand the gravity of her situation with this guy she doesn't understand that this guy's just going to constantly constantly push her to do things that are going to be so uncomfortable that are just like and that's like why I mean you just hate this character even more like because you see like you know because she had that one scene where she's like I'll do you know porn with you but only with you that's not how the industry works yeah Um, um, and even in a later scene she's like you know I'm gonna get her primed and ready and I mean just really maliciously like talking down like talking you know this girl like she's just a piece of meat Mm -hmm. i mean it's absolutely you know horrific and awful how like this character is and then and even though it doesn't like come to fruition like the fact that it's like actually pretty clever commentary on the porn industry itself like how it takes advantage of women and everything Mm -hmm. like like it I don't know. It's just uh, this movie, as fucked up as it is, is really enjoyable to watch, <laughs> and it's crazy. And it, then, like, it also when you like sit down and think about it, you're like, oh wow, there's this a lot cool. of like, yeah, this is really fucked up. And um, Sean Baker, you have a lot of thoughtful commentary in here that's like pretty clever. Like you managed. To, I don't know. It's 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 crazy movie. Uh, 
if you can stomach all, if you can stomach what we've described so far, uh, if you think you can handle that, I, I would highly recommend you go see it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, if not for the scene where uh, Mikey jumps out of the window to run to the drug dealer's house butt ass naked. <laughs> like that <laughs> comedic peak of 2021. Golly. And uh, before we move on um to try to coda, uh I wanted to ask you this what what's your interpretation of the ending of the movie? So I I was a little torn like even within myself of it did give me kind of like this is a weird comparison, but it gave me like baby driver vibes where the end of that movie is definitely like kind of like this dreamlike fantasy almost. Like it doesn't feel quite real the way like Deborah is when she picks him up from the jail and everything. Like it definitely feels like what baby is hoping for. This was very, this, this is very similar ending to me at least how I interpreted it where he goes and he's standing outside of her house with a trash bag with all his belongings that he was allowed to take with him. Um, and it's kind of amazing, like even as like messed up as he was, you still do like slightly pity him. Like the way that like, even though he gets his comeuppance, like they like, they like aren't, they don't, they kind of like basically steal from him. Like all, most of it, yeah. basically all of the money that, he earned even though he earned it like by selling drugs or whatever like they well, steal the stealing, money they even well even cheating them out of their cut yeah so and it, it's just like even through even though he what he did was messed up you're like oh well that's what they're doing to him is kind of messed up too mm -hmm. and but you're like but he kind of deserves it because he's a scumbag and so yeah. like you're kind of conflicted but anyways like as he's standing outside the house like the way she opens the door wearing a bikini and the way it like fixates so much on her body it definitely felt it had a similar vibe to me even though it's definitely more sexual than baby driver or it, like baby driver is not anywhere near that sexual at all like that's definitely more of like a i don't know that one's more like romanticized like this definitely kind of gave me that similar vibe where it's like, okay, I think this is like his fantasy of what he's hoping when she opens the door and we're not actually seeing our, it could go either way. Like maybe that was her, cause she's so caught up in like this life and like the excitement of it. But like to her, this is like a dream come true. So it would make sense also if it like, if on the flip side, if it was genuinely what happens, if, if that's how it ends, you know? But then, like, well, I I just want to see like a post credit scene where he has to sit there and explain to her like how this whole like oh I'm taking you to L.A. thing is not going to work out because he kind of got screwed out of any chance of being able to properly fulfill that at the moment, you know? Yeah, like he might be able to afford both of them a bus ticket, but then they're going to have nothing when they get there. Mm -hmm. um again i don't know how much a bus ticket is but i'm assuming it's gonna be you know two hundred dollars is not gonna go far um yeah well i don't know my interpretation of that ending is it is very dreamlike it's very quality and it's also a choice to end the movie with the bye 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 theme that we open we book open with and had you know 
playing during the naked, you know, streaking scene. Um, so my kind of interpretation is he's about to ruin that as well. Like, he, oh yeah, he's gonna just like it's a horror moment. It's a moment. It's a horror movie moment where he's about to ruin because every time the bye 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 theme has played, it's always come at the moment where he's like in a place of transition where he's in a place of like I'm I fucked up this one place and then now I gotta go and fix go over here so now when that song plays it's a horror movie moment because he's about to fuck because he's about to ruin her life that's that's how I see it it's a it's a horror movie ending um, but not in like the traditional physical way it's an emotional way. Okay. Um, but yeah, no. So yeah, if you can stomach all two hours of this insanity, you know, also we didn't even mention he sells weed to construction workers. <laughs> or the <laughs> fact like he doesn't only, he doesn't only date an underage girl. You watch him fuck her multiple times and like all of their sexual. In the open. <laughs> like Yeah on beaches or lakes or whatever <laughs> so yeah. so it, it, if you can stomach that then see this movie i, I know like tell the subject matter doesn't make it sound appealing but uh, i promise see it in spite of that sean baker is aware of this and he definitely uh depicts the behavior as toxic so don't think that the movie glorifies his behavior because it doesn't um so yeah you you should definitely see red rocket Mm -hmm. yeah and i yeah absolutely i highly recommend this this will probably also like power of the dog uh actually quite a few of these movies on that we're going to be talking about this week and next week will end up on my top 10 because i mean this has been a really good solid year for movies um but yeah i really loved red rocket a lot and i highly recommend it if it's still playing near you go see it um if not it should be on vod soon since it's an a24 movie uh all right and um we're gonna go shift back to streaming for a little bit uh with coda oh, sometimes i get a good feeling yeah You're the girl with the deaf family? Yeah. yeah. I just want to tell you right now. And you sing. Interesting. Something's got a hold on me here. What are you doing next year? Working with my family. Let me tell you now, I've got a feeling I feel so strange. Everything about me seems to have changed. I've been coaching for Berklee College of Music. I can help you get a scholarship. Um, this movie came out in August and then was the Sundance, um, and before that it was the Sundance uh, Grand Jury Prize winner of last year. So um, in honor of Sundance starting this weekend, we will talk about CODA real quickly. Uh, David, what do you think about Coda? 
Um, it definitely feels like a Sundance movie in the sense that it's very feel good. Uh, even though like I guess there are some bad things that happen in it but like by the end it's a feel-good movie um, I thought it was very so go going into it I went into this very blind as well I just knew what Coda stood for child of a deaf adult I knew that and that was it uh, I had heard I happened to have hear, heard radio ads so I knew music was a part of it somehow but I didn't know anything else beyond that um, and I'll say the opening, like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes was like a little rough for me. Like it was kind of like hard for me to get fully invested. And definitely some of the high school stuff, uh, particularly with the choir, definitely felt very much like, uh, it felt very fake, kind of off. It didn't really feel authentic to me. Um, but when you look past all of that, then the this movie is actually pretty compelling and I think it, uh, like the central idea of a hearing person with a deaf family and the conflict and everyday dilemmas that they would face that that was really interesting to me and um, how that would manifest over the course of the, the movie it was very compelling to see and just kind of like just the everyday things that you wouldn't that would happen in that kind of situation that are either embarrassing to her or something that is like just very, it's just not something that able-bodied people are, are people that have able-bodied families would be used to seeing or experiencing. And I think this movie depicted all of that very well. Absolutely. So, and you mentioned it does look very Sundancey. It's very, not a lot of great. I mean, there's good cinematography, but it's very much a very simple shot composition movie. Um, but what a, and so the filmmaking is kind of, it, it's very, I don't know what the right word is. It's very, it's not, it's very YA. It's very, it's not like, very. it's not like, complex you're not getting like you know flush zooms like you did from red rocket you know um but what i will say about this movie that is so compelling is a i really loved um the performance uh from the daughter um and i really loved the, the performance from the family i thought they all gave really good performances and i felt like this was an incredible like acting showcase from this cast. Um, I will agree the the chorus stuff is very, I don't want to say cliche, but it is very- Yeah, it feels like almost like glee than like actual, like I, I've grown up in choirs. I've been in choirs and high school choirs, nothing like that. But like also like I kind of gave it like a little bit of the benefit of the doubt is that she's living in like kind of a small town. Like it's like near Massachusetts, but it's not actually. So I like gave her, I gave it that at least, like, it's like, okay, well, it wouldn't be like a normal choir. So I can overlook that. It was just something that kind of stood out to me and it kind of goes into the YA feeling of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. And then you have the eccentric, you know, choir professor, like it feels like an after school special at times. That's what I've been kind of looking. It feels like an after school special 
Um, but what I do, but I will give this movie credit for is like the acting showcase, especially from uh, Amelia Jones. I thought she was fantastic um, as the lead. And I thought, uh, and, and I really loved how like everyone in the family had their own kind of personality and had their own quirks and things. Um, and I kind of just liked how the story evolved. I really thought, you know, it was just an interesting premise, you know, seeing like, and what I will give, you know, the code of filmmakers here is they really gave us a sense of like how hard this challenge would be like, you know, if you realized, oh my gosh, you have like this incredible voice, but you can't share that with your family. And you can't like show them like your talent. Like, how do you get them on board? You know, that, you know, because even, you know, going to Berkeley for a music school, like going for that shot, like and gaining your parents' support, you know, I mean, that's difficult. Like, how do you show your family that, no, you know, I have this, I have potential, please, you know, invest in me. You know, invested, I'm not going to throw my college degree away or my, you know, four-year college degree for something that, you know, I can't use. So, and, and I felt like that, you know, on top of, you know, also being like, hey, I'm the only person that really can help you because I work for free. Like, <laughs> like... Like, how do you get, like, I felt like really, you know, I felt like the writing really showcased the stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really, I don't know, like, I just felt like really emotionally tied to that performance. And then I really liked seeing, um, uh, I really liked how Eugenio Debre, uh, Eugenio Debre's uh, character, uh, like, you know, evolved. Like he goes mm-hmm. from this like eccentric guy to being like, no, I'm gonna be a real supporter, even though I don't. The turn of that is still a little too quick. But yeah, I I just I don't know. Like I felt I really liked Coda. I think just more because it was just emotionally well done. And then there are moments in this movie that I think are really well done, like when her family are sitting in. The, the kind of auditorium and they're doing the duet all sound goes out and the family they just see how everyone's reacting I feel like that was such a powerful moment because mm-hmm. that was the solution like in and then when you know the dad is the one that you know feels around like the tonsil area to kind of feel the vibration of it you know, and tries to just kind of imagine himself, like, you know, hearing her sing, I was just like, yeah, this is emotionally moving. And then, Mm -hmm. and then I'm a sucker for like ending shots. I don't know if you, you know, the ending shot they have or the still they have from the movie that's on all the Apple TV. It's like her doing the sign. Yeah. Remember? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was hoping I wasn't crazy because I know I only have the Apple TV screeners. Um, okay. But they have that still and it's just like a really, you know, when you see that final 
I don't know when you just see that final shot of her with a sign I was just really moved by it I was just this whole movie it's not filmed very well or I, I shouldn't say that <laughs> it's, it's filmed very adequately or adequately. Like just kind of <laughs> yeah I mean look this is a low budget movie with like no big stars um but I, I give everyone like a lot of credit. Like it's more like this movie is just more of an actor showcase of like the not only of Amelia Jones but also the deaf actors. Uh, you know Troy. Uh, I I hope I'm not mispronouncing these people's names, but like Troy Kotsar or Daniel Durant uh, or Marley Martin. Like these is an this is an acting showcase for everyone. And there's someone from Sing Street. Um, I yes. What's his name? Uh, Fredia, uh, Wash Pilo. Yeah, that was great. I, I did not know that going in, so I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, "Oh, I like him." <laughs> yeah, I was watching the movie, and I'm like, "Where have I seen you from?" Like, you were so familiar. And then I looked it up later, and I was like, "Sing Street!" Oh my god! Like, so yeah, great surprises from everyone. Um, I I really enjoy this movie. David, do you have any more to say on Coda? Um, yeah, I feel very similarly to you. I, I think you might have liked it more than I did, but um, I, I feel similarly to you. Um, I, I think I've kind of said what I have to say, offer on it. All right. Well, okay. In that case, uh, if you have Apple, um, go watch Coda. It's a very good movie. Um, uh, I really, yeah, I think it's a good movie. I don't know if it has any Oscar chances. I, but I mean, it's, but yeah, it's um, it's a good movie. I really enjoyed it. Thank. Uh, and now I move on to the other Apple movie, uh, Apple TV movie, the new release, Tragedy of Macbeth. Hear it not, Duncan, for it is a knell that summons thee to heaven or to hell. From Jewel Cohen, not Jewel and Ethan Cohen, but just from Jewel Cohen alone. All right, what'd you think? Um, I, I, so I read Macbeth in high school and um, that's about, I guess, my familiarity with it. Um, so I definitely, so I, I kind of know the story and um, so the old English and the like the Shakespearean language didn't take me out of it too much, but that definitely felt like it was almost a little bit of a barrier in the sense of while you're watching it, like you're like, okay, all these people, like you understand what they're saying. And like, especially if you, like I watched it with, sub, I watch everything with subtitles that I watch with at home, but like uh, you're still kind of like, not lost in it, but like kind of just like, it like old English, like almost feels very tedious in the way of how, um, just the way it's spoken and uh, like kind of how extra it is in terms of like, oh, like like you can almost like point to like, this is obviously like kind of almost satire on it, but like 
just a, an example, sorry for the choice of director that this is from because he's in the headlines lately. Um, but like, if you point to like, I don't know, like the Avengers where Tony Stark is like, doth mother know, doth mother know you wear her drapes or whatever. Like, uh, yeah, sorry, for, sorry, for, sorry for the Japes, Joss Whedon uh, <laughs> mention, but um, like, you know, like that kind of, that dialogue fueling the entire thing does kind of take you out of it a little bit. And, but even in spite of that, this adaptation is visually stunning. Uh, the production design is great, how minimalistic it is. Uh, I thought it like um, Denzel Washington as um, Macbeth was a very inspired casting choice and I thought he was brilliant. Um, Frances McDormand, uh, she was good as Lady Macbeth. Um, and then like, I was surprised by a lot of actors that were in the ensemble. Like, I don't know if we, would consider that a spoiler if I could go into those or no go ahead I think okay okay no I didn't I didn't expect Stephen Root to show up he also showed up in something else last week uh I don't know if that's a spoiler either but uh so I'm sure we'll talk cool. about it a few weeks from now <laughs> that that was cool to see him uh twice by surprise last week <laughs> um Corey Hawkins I wasn't I didn't know he was in it um then there's the kid that plays Dudley in Harry Potter. I'm pretty sure that's him. He was in The Devil All the Time last year. Uh, I didn't, well, I may have actually known he was in I, I, Going into it, I forgot he was in it. And I was like, oh, hey. So it was kind of nice just seeing a lot of like familiar, I don't know if I would classify all of them as character actors, but like kind of in that same like vein of like, character supporting actors, like how they kind of filled the cast. Um, yeah, I, th I thought it was a great adaptation. Um, I don't know if I would watch it again, just because uh, maybe I would watch like select scenes. Like there's this clip going around out of context of Denzel just like destroying this, uh, the, the knight that comes to kill him at the end, like kind of like taking bare hand and like, like taking the sword out and like besting him. Like that scene was pretty dope. And I would probably watch that again, but like the whole movie, I don't know if I would feel like obligated to, or uh, I don't know if I would ever want to sit through it again, just cause it's a little tedious and like the old English of it all, like, but it, it's still a great movie and a really, really great adaptation. It's kind of amazing how um, people still find ways to make Shakespeare new and and the way they had adapt adapt it, um, like five hundred over five hundred years later, we're still finding something fresh and exciting in this like what's considered a, like a like a literally literary masterwork, you know. Like so, um, I think it's very brilliant in that regard. Um, I I'm sorry. Like throughout this whole conversation, this is this one's Joel Cohen or yeah. Okay, okay. I, I, I keep forgetting which one went solo, but uh, Joel Cohen, like, a really impressive first uh, solo directorial debut. I, I don't know. I mean, he's been making brother movies with his brother for, year, brother for years and brilliant mm -hmm. movies at that. But, like, um, he, he did really good solo and great adaptation. Uh, I don't know what else I have to offer on it than that but I'll kind of throw it to you. And if you have something for me kind of dialogue, then we can keep going, but. 
Okay, so I I saw this. Um, my local art house in Athens had this uh, last week, uh, and so I got to see it. But it, but what I noticed was they kind of cropped the screen with curtains, so it made the screen like really small. Like it was a very small screen we had uh, to watch Tragedy of Macbeth. And I don't know if that was part of the like. A note from well, they, go ahead. the the aspect ratio, I think, is a four three. Yeah, well, it's kind of like a box, so yeah. But yeah, I was like, I was really so. I was like, okay, this is like an interesting choice. Um, and going from there, I mean, I really so my kind of, I guess, my way into Macbeth is. I read in high school as well, and also saw Roman Polanski's version of it from the 70s. And I have to say, I really do love that ver version more here. Like I really, I feel, but also, I mean, Roman Polanski actually shot it like in London, like he, you know, shot it outside. He used real locations. Um, and we'll get to the locations in this movie in a second, but he, like Roman Pol, but to kind of, and again, I don't mean to like, you know, glorify Roman Polanski, but like, I feel like his movie was so much more cinematically just like powerful. Like there was so much more like, you know, better performances. Like you really felt the pathos, like Corey Hawkins is um, Macduff, um or Macduff in Roman Polanski's version I mean you really feel like the true like tragedy and horror of like his mistake of leaving his family behind um you know like here as, you don't quite get that yeah I would say yeah because everyone's like the same pretty much the same like monotone all the way through mm-hmm so, and that's kind of my problem with this adaptation. Like, I do like it. I feel, I feel like there a lot of credit should be given to Bruno de Bonnell, uh, the cinematographer, and a lot of credit should be given to the set designer of this movie, because I mean, visually, this movie looks impressive, and the choices that Joel Cohen and then his two collaborators made, you know, in designing this world like it's still immersive like you feel but the problem i have with this movie is it still feels like a bunch of actors including denzel washington just reading the dialogue and not a lot really like giving much you know pathos or not giving much performance like the reason why so many people even so many actors now want to do shakespeare is because now the English is so old that people are now going to have to rely on your performance to interpret what the, you know, this old English, the dialogue means. Like what, like how does your performance, you know, motivate, like elicit the reaction from the cast or from the audience? And, and the problem that everyone seems to have is that they're very monotonic when they read the dialogue. Like even when Corey Hawkins is Macduff like finds out that his family was brutally murdered by Macbeth's soldiers, he still gives 
a slightly l less monotone performance. Yeah. Like, I mean, so so really, like it cheapens like the final duel that they those two have. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, I, I can agree with that. the The reading of the old English by all of these actors kind of I guess maybe that's part of what went into why the old English felt even more like it kind of like a like a hand pushing me away from the movie like it feels like a barrier mm -hmm. like it almost feels like Joel Cohen is laughing at us for trying to figure trying to figure this shit out you know almost but I will say at least in the case of uh Denzel He's one of those actors that like gives a lot with a little. So even though some of his, I wouldn't say all of his line, line delivery felt monotonic, but like even the lines that did, it feels like you still kind of get more from it than that. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. Like just because it's the kind of actor he is, um, he kind of brings that to almost any performance. And I think he, I, I think he, he was really great in this movie, in my opinion. Uh, I think he's good, <laughs> but I would, but I'm like, uh, but I, I, I think he is good. Cause here's the thing about his performance. And I will say, you know, that Joel Cohen does, like, find a way, like, into the character. Like, he finds a way into Macbeth as a character that wants to have power. He wants to have, you know, gravitas and respect and that higher class that comes with being a king. So you can kind of relate to Macbeth's rise or, you know, glut for power as you know, an allegory for, you know, for the, for an allegory for like a, the lower class trying to achieve themselves up through, you know, trying to catapult themselves up through a means of illegal means, which is a lot of like what Coen brother movies characters do. A lot of them are trying to get rich very quickly or try to achieve something higher than themselves or achieve a goal through ill Im, immoral means so so you can kind of, so with Macbeth you know with Denzel Washington's Macbeth you get the sense that he's a person that you know is truly envious and spiteful of um, Brandon Gleason's you know kinghood or and that you know he's not going to be the successive of power uh or, that's how I read it, and and therefore the tragedy of Macbeth is about how that gluttony of power and how that ill it Ill consumes him and it's his downfall. Yes, it consumes him and also it it cre creates this you know it just creates this vacuum of guilt of like that keeps getting bigger and bigger is the more savagery he gets as a king so there's the tragedy of Macbeth but I also still stand by this is I'm glad this movie was an hour and 45 minutes oh yeah 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 but I mean it's a 
it's still like visually haunting like i mean it's like i mean the sets i mean even when we see the witches for the first time and it's that little pond or and it's the one witch but then in the reflection it's the two the three Mm -hmm. it's the three witches but i mean like the way joel cohen films this movie is impeccably well done yeah and I'll, I'll say, I guess, one thing that kind of left some to be desired is, like, the world doesn't feel fully fleshed out, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. we hear about, like, we see the kind of the corruption of Macbeth, but we, like, we hear, like, oh, he's a tyrant now, but you don't really see that fully, like, in the movie, like, other than killing Macbeth's family and, like, kind of the despicable things he does himself or, like, orders people to do you don't really see too much of like tyrannical rule in the sense of like, he's like destroying, uh, is, is it Scotland or? Um, England there. England, what, what he, you don't get the sense that like, you don't, it, like it, it doesn't feel fully impactful when they're discussing like, oh, he's like this tyrannical ruler. It feels almost kind of empty in a way because like not enough, uh, I guess screen time is really dedicated to that or like kind of fleshing out. Like it, it feels like it's almost like this hushed, like spies kind of reporting on something, but you don't get to really see it yourself. So it's kind of like the show don't tell, like the opposite of that. Like, it's theater. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's basically theater again. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it's like almost too Shakespearean in that sense to full feel like cinematic. yeah (laughs) it's yeah it's not i mean yeah and i think you know again i'm not a shakespearean scholar but it keeps you at a distance every time like you know you try and get emotionally invested in it like like even like when the scene comes up where mcduff's family is you know killed she gets the warning, and then as soon as like the warning is said, they're on her doorstep. Yeah, you're just like, okay, now we're gonna watch the kid get killed. Which I don't know if you've, I don't, I'm, I would take it that you've not seen Roman Polanski's Macbeth. No. Okay. That one, the way they kill Macduff's family is super fucked up. Like it's like the boy gets stabbed. The boy says, "You know, the I've been stabbed," and then it bleed. Then the boy starts bleeding profusely. This one, uh, he gets thrown almost comedically through a vat of smoke. Yeah, <clears throat> and you're just like, "Oh, okay, I guess the family's dead now." And Corey Hawkins, who has an American accent, still. Again, I don't want to judge everyone harshly, but I feel like Joel Cohen was just like, I just want to do Macbeth. I don't even give a shit. Like, if <laughs> if the all the actors are from England or Scotland or whatever, because even Denzel Washington in Francis McDormand, they have American accents. Yeah. So it's like, I don't even give a fuck. So... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, so yeah, it's just like yeah, they're just all great actors. So whatever, you know. I think of the like medieval like movies that were released last year, like between this, The Green Knight, and The Last Duel, 
this would be my least favorite of those three. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'd agree. Um, but like the Green Knight might be a distant second. <laughs> those uh, two, like, I guess kind of what I was saying, like they feel like they have fully fleshed out worlds and like they feel very cinematic in a way that this one just doesn't. This one is cinematic, but it's still... It's cinematic in the sense of here's some striking imagery. Uh, that's but kind also, of it. But also, it still feels like it's on a stage. Like, the, yeah. not, a, not a sound stage. I mean, like, a theater stage. Like, it's, yeah. Like, when, like, you know, like, you mentioned that fight scene, you know, between the knight um, and uh, Macbeth. All of the like feet stomping and everything, it sounds like, you know, flooring for a theater stage. Like, I don't, I don't know if it sounds like, you know, when you're walking on, like when they're walking, it sounds like they're on a theater stage. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it just like, so wait, is this theater? Is this just like theater that, that Jewel Cohen wanted to direct, but couldn't get fun? But couldn't get like in, on a sound on an actual theater stage, so he just filmed it and got Apple TV and A twenty four to to fund it. Like I would love to see more interviews with Joel Cohen and like not explain himself, but just be like, what was his approach? Like, what did he really f want to do with this? But then again, I but then again, because I mean, a there's no Roger Deakins, it's Bruno Demel. Dibbanel. Um, and yeah, I I like it. There are some really good shots. I mean, the one shot of just Denzel Washington just staring like longing that's in the, all the marketing material is fantastic. It's very good. But there's not a whole lot of other shots like that. Yeah. So yeah. Um I don't know about you, but that's all I got on Macbeth. Yeah, I, I, I like it. Cold on it. It's kind of hard for me to recommend it to someone, though. Like, I would have to know, I guess, their tastes. Like, if you think a black and white four or three um, Macbeth <laughs> adaptation it sounds interesting, um, then definitely give it a chance. Um, there's 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 a lot like we as we mentioned like the set design and the cinematography are both great and um there are highlights to this um but um yeah we i think we both felt a little similarly maybe you a little more negative uh not negative but uh, like not not as high on it as i was but um yeah uh so maybe you'll like Macbeth, maybe you won't um of of the movies we talked about, I don't know that I would say, I, I don't know. Uh, anyways, that's, that's kind of all I've got for that also. <laughs> yeah, okay. I do mildly recommend it, it, but I feel like, you know, the trailers, like the less than a minute long trailers, like that's pretty much what you're getting. Like A24 is not selling, they're not hiding anything from you. They're just like, it's Macbeth, and Denzel Washington's playing Macbeth, and then Princess McDormand is his wife. This is a take it or leave it situation. 
-hmm. If that sounds interesting to you, good. If not, I mean, we got a whole bunch of other stuff that's going to be on um, Apple Plus. So that's that's my take. That's That's my take. It's if you like Denzel Washington and you like Macbeth, you're going to love this movie. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. All right. So that, that kind of wraps up our show for part one. Uh, part two um, is next week. Um, I don't think we have a clear list on what we're going to talk about part two. Um, I know we mentioned in the pre-show uh, we were really wanted to hit Don't Look Up. Uh, we really wanted to hit um, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, am I remember? Is, is there anything else I'm misremembering, David? Those are, oh, the other ones we kind of mentioned were possibly saved for the best of, but yeah, that's kind of, we'll, we'll come up with a list of what we'll talk about and we'll talk about those next week. Um, yeah, it's been, I, I've been great catching up on things. Um, I'm looking forward to finally sitting down and finalizing my best of list for last year. Um, I'm getting pretty close. Um, thanks for having me, Kale. Um, again, I haven't written anything on my blog in a while. Sorry about that. Um, but if you want to check me out, uh, you can find me on Twitter at wise underscore David. And uh, the blog handle is film assessment. And you, the, the most recent thing I have is the No Time to Die review. Uh, highly recommend that movie. Um, and anything before that that you're interested in go go at it and i'll have a best of i'm going to combine 20 and 2021 20, i'm going to it'll be two separate lists but i'm going to make it one post just because i didn't share a post for 2020 so may as well catch up on both of them at once um so yeah look stay tuned for that that'll be coming in the come few next few weeks uh probably around the time we do our shared 2021 podcast together um again thanks for having me absolutely uh david thank you for being on the show um you can find me on twitter at movie kale and then yeah um we'll be here next week talking more movies and after all this i promise we'll get to actual 2022 programming it's just a there's not much happening in january now because of the omicron uh, incident Omicron and really it seems like the first real weekend of 2022 is um, February 4th with Moonfall and oh god what's the other movie that's and Jack Uncharted is sometime uh, Uncharted is somewhere in February oh yeah that's um 18th but yes when we get to February we'll go full steam into 2022 and I guess we'll talk about the Oscars when they show up. And, and that's it. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll be back very, very soon. I think it's cool you just said, fuck it. I'm going to get paid for doing the thing I love most. And as long as you're not hurting anybody, you can you, man. I'm not afraid to fight you. I don't give a What the fuck? He fucker punched me. I would 100% out cardio that guy. Fuck. Sorry for swearing. The shit got out of control. I came this fucking close to getting shot. This fucking close. The dog's like, oh, he's a good man. I can tell by his nice energy. Your persona non grata.
Life's sweet, Sophie. Life is sweet.